HHC, there's actually eight or nine different stereoisomers. In the HHC that we create, there's actually three that come out, two predominantly. So we isolated those molecules and worked with a couple of different certified labs to create testing standards. So we're able to develop that process because then you could see third-party verification that we had the purity and the right molecule that we're talking about. Then we had to go through an entire process of information because there wasn't any information online. There was some studies done in like the 40s and the 60s, but there was hardly anything out there. So we literally had to go write the Wikipedia page on HHC and what it was and go through and go on a massive education campaign. And then we realized that, you know, if we're going to bring a molecule to market, we have to be able to prove that it's safe because we can't just be that lab that throws something out and says, this will get you high, go ahead and smoke it. There's a million chemicals in our lab that would get you real high, but you definitely shouldn't be smoking them. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to a new episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. Now, I want to kick off today's episode by reviewing the Cannabis Marketing Summit that took place in Denver, Colorado a couple of weeks ago. It was an outstanding execution of an event, so I have to give major props to the Cannabis Marketing Association's team, CEO Lisa Buffo and her associate Emily Wells. They are super knowledgeable and super community-driven women who have established a really great community of cannabis marketing professionals that this event was just a natural extension of all the great content and networking and community that they've aggregated up until this point. But the event was amazing. So many great opportunities to connect with people who I've had as guests on the podcast. It was awesome to get to meet some of them in person for the very first time. In addition to that, I was so touched and my heart was just exploding with gratitude and joy at the opportunity of getting to connect with so many of you, my listeners. This podcast has been such a wonderful extension of my heart and passion of just trying to help educate and bring awareness and conversation to the cannabis community from a professional perspective. How do we navigate things? How do we champion things? How do we think of the consumer? How do we think of the science? How do we think of the ultimate, you know, product that we are putting on shelves? And so to be able to connect with people and to just be embraced for the efforts that I put forth was just really, really, really meaningful to me. So again, thank you if you came up to me and said hello. And then I know there were a couple of you who sent me DMs wishing that we could have actually connected, but there was just so much going on at the conference that it was a lot. So again, wonderful event. Cannot speak more highly of the Cannabis Marketing Association and the Cannabis Marketing Summit. So if that is on your radar, for those marketers out there, I encourage you to check out that event and be a part of it with us next time they're having it. Moving on to today's topic, I get into this in the actual episode a little bit, but I think it's really important to give context to these things because it's important to me, at least, to understand how certain individuals arrive at certain you know points. And so for me, 
I think that this could potentially be a controversial topic, which is partially why I'm embracing it. I think that we are in an interesting intersection in our industry around minor cannabinoids coming to market predominantly through the legal hemp market, which is open at a federal level, and how that is converging with the regulated marijuana market. And surely you're seeing some of these cannabinoids play in both CBD, CBN, CBG. But then there are psychotropic cannabinoids like Delta-8 THC, and we're seeing other ones, THCV, not necessarily psychotropic, but certainly in that THC category. And now there are more kind of, you know, webs being created, popping up, HHC, THCO, THCP. And so naturally, as somebody who is in the industry, as somebody who is privy to a lot of conversations happening both at a business-to-business level, but also as a business-to-consumer level. These are conversations that I don't want to ignore, right? And so customers are coming into my retail here in Austin and asking for some of these cannabinoids. And so I stepped back and I wanted to take an approach similar to how I approached Delta-8 THC, which was is there a way to do Delta-8 right? And I've arrived at the answer, which is yes. And also acknowledging that there are multiple wrong ways to make Delta-8. I have a couple of episodes. If you are curious, probably the most important one is an episode on is Delta-8 a synthetic? I encourage you to go listen to that. That is a conversation I've already had, so I'm not going to go into that in this conversation in particular. However, it set the framework for what I am looking at and how I'm trying to interpret what is happening at a market level, at an opportunity level, at a consumer level, at a product level, at a testing level. There are so many different factors that really go into how these cannabinoids are kind of, you know, arising into our market. And when you're looking at some of the direction and the drive, it is from my perspective, a little bit being driven by the consumers. So yes, you do have consumers in non-legal marijuana states that are looking for certain effects. And so they are exploring different hemp-based cannabinoids. Now you layer on top of it, cannabinoids being chemically synthesized. Again, there's a big learning between synthetic and synthesized And so that's kind of really where this conversation for today jumps off from. I had been hearing about HHC in particular for some time now, haven't really explored it much, but over the last couple of months, I felt like it was really important to start to do some more research, to dig in, to give it some of my attention and brain space. And so I started posting things on LinkedIn because to me, LinkedIn is a great channel to have these conversations, especially from a B2B perspective. And I wanted to be educated. Y'all know that I love to educate myself as well as help educate others. And I am not an expert on everything. There are plenty of things that I could be better understood with and to explore further. But with that said, I do think that there are some things that, you know, require further investigation. And so for me, when it came to HHC, I knew that I knew very little and I wanted to learn more. And so I put this PSA out on LinkedIn and 
Tyler Roach, the VP of sales of Colorado Chromatography, reached out to me. He said, hey, I saw your LinkedIn post. And in his bio, it even said the HHC guy. So I was like, okay, where is this going? You know, I think it's also fair to kind of call out There is healthy skepticism. I think we all should be skeptical of these cannabinoids and just anybody who says they know this, that, and the other. But again, in the spirit of dialogue and conversation, really rooted in education, I was like, okay, let me have a conversation with him. He's willing to talk to me. I want to bend his ear. I want to know what he knows. And so Tyler and I had a phone conversation. It was a hour plus long phone conversation. And he let me ask him every question under the sun and then some. And you know, walking away from that conversation, I felt really empowered to better understand HHC as well as how I might be able to incorporate it into my business or my product line for, you know, the record I have not yet. But this is, again, one of those cannabinoids, one of those topics that I felt is really worthy to kind of present to you guys, my amazing, passionately curious audience. And so I was like, Tyler, do you want to come on the podcast and rehash our conversation? And he was so down. And so that's pretty much, you know, kind of how we got here to today's conversation. Colorado Chromatography is a lab in Colorado. They specialize in a couple of cannabinoids, CBN being one of them, THCV being another, and HHC, of course. But I think what I've learned, you know, kind of just like high level before I let Tyler really get into it, there are always going to be good and bad practices out there. And I think it is in our best interest to continue to be curious and to explore as this industry unfolds, you know, is chemically derived cannabinoids a bad thing? How does that mirror the pharmaceutical industry? How do we look at chemically derived cannabinoids when it's non-psychotropic, like a CBN, for example, versus a psychotropic cannabinoid like an HHC? So clearly I had lots of questions and Tyler answered all of them. And I just really appreciated his willingness to come on and be open to have this conversation and always, you know, kind of encourage you guys to Let's make this a dialogue. If you have questions, you have thoughts after you listen to this, you want to talk about something, find me on LinkedIn, find me on Instagram. You guys know I'm available and I'm always here to have these dialogues, but I have nothing else to share. So I want to invite Tyler on to the show so we can get right to it. So without further ado, please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Tyler to the show. So my name is Tyler Roach. I'm the VP of sales for Colorado Chromatography. We are a bulk manufacturer of synthesized cannabinoids. So we make all kinds of cool products, mostly utilizing chemistry to kind of exemplify and and bring out these cool properties within the plant. Kind of our main focus within that is to kind of take that approach of, you know, cannabis was supposed to be medicine in the beginning and taking that pharma approach and the cannabis approach and combining those two worlds to try to expose these different molecules that could have massive benefit to our community. So I've been involved with sales in the cannabis industry for only a year, believe it or not. I actually come from the construction industry, started selling cabinets at the age of like 12 years old, working back and forth with my dad. And it was a year ago when I decided to just jump headfirst into cannabis. It was kind of a a risky move for me. My family has traditionally been pretty anti-cannabis. There wasn't a whole lot of understanding of of what it was. And I know myself being a, a consumer from, you know, kind of an earlier age, it was kind of frowned upon, if you will. But kind of my first real interaction when I started seeing cannabis as medicine is I have a cousin who struggled with seizures from epilepsy. And it was kind of interesting because they ended up moving over to Texas to look into cannabis treatment for epilepsy. 
and had massive success. I mean, it was just incredible. The seizures started going away. And I don't know exactly what treatment they were on, but I remember kind of seeing a shift in my family's perspective of cannabis and realizing, oh, they're actually, this might be okay. It might not be that bad. But I've always been super intrigued just with the the plant and the genetics and, and the culture of cannabis has always been very welcoming to me. So when I decided that I was done with my previous career, I decided to just jump headfirst into this knowing absolutely, absolutely nothing about the industry. I completely knew, but I just went in head first and, and started kind of working back and forth with some different labs, taking as many tours and meetings as I could to learn everything that I could. And then when I did get the job with Colorado Chromatography, I actually spent quite a long time in the lab learning the chemistry that we're actually doing, working alongside my coworkers to have a lot better understanding of what these different molecules are and how we come across them you know, different interest in, you know, testing and, and purity and cleanliness within the lab. And it's just been like drinking from a fire hose for a year straight here. <laughs> I believe it. I can't even imagine just being in the industry professionally for a year. I mean, reflecting on my own journey, I remember even now, you know, I'm four and a half years in and it's very like, oh, I still feel like the water hose is like shooting at full throttle. And I'm just like trying to, you know, slop up as many little like droplets as I can to try to piece together things, which is honestly why we're talking today. So to give the listeners some context, you know, I come from the regulated hemp market. I am here in Texas. I am, you know, happy to hear your background and journey a little bit more because I think that that is really important for all of us to just kind of recognize whether you've been in the industry for a decade, a year, regulated, the compliance side of things, hemp, you know, full on THC. There are consumers at the other end of, you know, what we are selling and what we are are believing in, whether you yourself, like me personally, I'm a consumer. It sounds like you're a consumer too. But when you're right. getting into the business side of things, you are ultimately doing it for the end game, which is for human consumption. You're selling a product, you're testing your product on behalf of a brand, all those different things, your, your dispenser, your retail selling this product. And for us, we do play in more of the minor cannabinoids is kind of, I think, the umbrella term that most of us industry professionals refer to as. And that covers, you know, non-psychotropic cannabinoids like CBN, CBG. And then we've seen those cannabinoids get pulled into the compliant cannabis market. So now you see dispensaries like I was just in Colorado. I picked up some gummies. They were a CBD, THC, CBG ratioed product. So you're seeing some support and kind of acceptance of these minor cannabinoids, because if you're stepping back, you're like, oh, these all come from the plant, right? And so they must be good or quality because they're from, again, the organic plant. But then as the industry started to kind of open up and evolve, I would say over the past three years more, especially you started seeing more, you called them, you know, synthesized cannabinoids. And so I want to be really clear too, and I want your take on this. I'm just kind of like seeding this. You know, I did another episode on is Delta 8 a synthetic. I think the words that we use sometimes get muddled because people are maybe not chemists and I'm not pretending to be a chemist, but I spend a lot of time researching, educating, creating my perspective from other 
educators and other people who have really, you know, tenured backgrounds on these subjects. And so that's kind of one observation, right? I think we have seen these cannabinoids now on the other side of minors, the Delta-8 THCs of the market, HHC, there's THCO, THCP, and that's where it starts to kind of get a little bit rocky, I think, sometimes, both we as an industry and then especially the consumer doesn't really understand what these cannabinoids are. And to continue layering on top of it, right, for our listeners on the podcast, you're talking about from a chemistry perspective. So yes, there is a way to chemically synthesize these cannabinoids and force them into conversion. So the best example I have is, you know, let's say CBG. CBG grows naturally and at a certain age, CBG matures into other cannabinoids. So that is a natural conversion that is happening at a chemical level thanks to time, pressure, heat, light, things like that. But again, going back to this kind of notion, people have muddied this idea of like synthesizing as being like, oh, that's a chemistry cannabinoid, like that's bad. And so I, in my ever, you know, journey of educating myself have recently and primarily started asking around HHC because it's a cannabinoid that is now coming up in our market here in Texas. And I would love to kind of deviate from HHC in our conversation, but to kind of tee it up again for the listeners to connect some dots. I was like on LinkedIn being like, what is HHC? Where does it come from? I know enough about Delta 8. I can understand chemically it's in a similar situation. HHC is a hydrogenated version of THC from what I've gathered and learned from you from our preliminary conversation. But I went to LinkedIn. I was like, I need to know about this and popped up Tyler on, you know, my my feed on my message board saying, hey, I'm the HHC guy from Colorado Chromatography and I'd be happy to talk to you. And so I was very grateful for our initial conversation. It was very informative. And that's ultimately what led me to want to bring this conversation to the podcast because Again, I think we're afraid of things we don't know. And as this right. industry opens up, it's like, are cannabinoids created chemically bad? My gut is saying we can't sustain <laughs> cannabinoids coming from the plant in the way that maybe other industries might be able to leverage ingredients, if it's fair to call cannabinoids ingredients. And so that's just like where my brain is coming from. That's where everything is swirling around. It's trying to bring to light some conversations and some education around the chemistry of cannabinoids and also the introduction of these minors that are psychotropic and what that ultimately does from a effect perspective, but also from a quality perspective. Again, I think these things get demonized. And so I just want to crack it wide open and kind of start by understanding from you, what are the cannabinoids that you predominantly focus on at Colorado Chromatography and kind of what is the basis of the business knowing that it is more chemistry-based? Like, what are those cannabinoids and, and how do you bring those cannabinoids to, to the market, really? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think you bring up a lot of good points there. I mean, there's so much movement in the market as far as new cannabinoids coming out. And we, we like to call it like the alphabet soup. It's like every single week, there's three new molecules out. And it's so confusing because it's like, well, number one, are these even legal? Number two, are they safe? And then number three, it's like, how are you even like, you know, how are we making these? Are they naturally extracted? Or are they synthesized? And I think there is a big misunderstanding with synthesis. A lot of people think that just because it's it's made in the lab, it's just naturally bad. There's a big under misunderstanding when it comes to that. And, you know, something I always like to refer to is like, well, do you take vitamin C in the morning? 
Well, that was made through synthesis. If you take any type of pharmaceuticals and, you know, we can poo-poo on the pharmaceutical industry, they've done a lot of terrible things, but also they've brought a lot of good. It's a reason that our life expectation is so much longer than before. We have great medicines out there and a lot of that's done through synthesis. In fact, the majority of it. So kind of our, our tagline with Colorado Chromatography is we're inspired by nature and driven by science. So we try to look what is in nature and then try to use science to further that process to make it more available. So HHC, for instance, that is a molecule that we have identified as existing within the hemp and cannabis plant. It's existing in the oils and in the seeds of the plant. But if you tried to extract it, it would take millions of pounds of biomass. So you would never be able to access that molecule to then be able to study it to see if it's something that's worth bringing to market, whether it be for, you know, a recreational use or a pharmaceutical use. So synthesis, I think, is very, very important. I think it plays a big role, but I think at the same time, it can be very dangerous. There's a lot of people out there that have the mind of let's just find the next thing that'll get people high and let's put it to market immediately. I think that mindset can be very dangerous because there are some toxic chemicals that are used. There are some very dangerous processes used to make these molecules. And if you don't have educated professionals, number one, scaling up this process, you can cause lab explosions and, you know, exposure to dangerous chemicals. And then if you don't have proper quality control, you can have residual chemicals in all of this, just like with your vitamin C or anything else, there is proper quality control that is done. And with being in the hemp industry, we're not really regulated that much. So we don't necessarily have to go through all of this testing. And I think it's it's really important for us to have these conversations to start opening up and saying, hey, you know, maybe these are the type of tests we should be looking at. Here's how we can keep the consumer safe. And ultimately, like your platform, educating everybody, especially the consumer, because I think the consumer has been completely screwed over when it comes to all of these molecules because they have no idea. Again, they're just having this alphabet soup thrown at them and every week they go to their vape shop to pick up something new or get a new gummy. There's just all kinds of new letters. And most of the time, the people at the counter are just going to say, oh, this gets you even more higher than the last one. And that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, depending on you know how it reacts with your body and how it reacts when it's heated up, there's definitely a lot of concerns out there. So mostly what we work with, CBN is a really big one for us. HHC, that was kind of our baby that we brought to market. That was something that we saw heavy regulation coming against Delta 8, and we kind of looked at the, the current laws, the federal laws and our state laws, and, and found a route to this molecule. It said, okay, this would give us access to a psychoactive molecule that would fit within the guidelines of the 2018 Farm Bill, and we would be able to operate this. And even like Delta 8, we never even messed with Delta 8 in the state of Colorado until just a couple of weeks ago when some new legislation came through actually allowing us to to operate and to, mm. to make Delta 8, which is shocking because you don't see a lot of legislation going the other way in the hemp industry's favor. So yeah, those are kind of the, the main molecules we're working with. Another big one is THCV. We do both the Delta 8 and the Delta 9 version of THCV. And we have a couple others, you know, CBG, CBC, things like that. But really the highlighted molecules that we're working with are CBN, HHC, and, and THCV. Those are probably our top that we work with here. Well, let's go straight for HHC then, because that was kind of the reason that we got connected. And it's certainly the most fascinating to me right now. I mean, you mentioned some really great, I think, you know, realities of our industry. You have consumers who are looking for effects 
And they're stepping into situations, scenarios, dispensaries, gas stations, wherever, looking for these cannabis products. And on one end, it's kind of fascinating for me. So a little bit more background, you know, I feel like a lot of our industry for better or worse is driven on Reddit. You know, for me, historically, the way Delta 8 kind of came on our radar was I had heard about it from peers and just kind of being in the industry and certainly had customers coming in the store asking for it. But when you're asking those customers how they heard about Delta 8, because it's like the industry is talking about it, but nobody's really educating the consumer. I'm like, where are you guys hearing about Delta 8? And they're like, Reddit. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's scary. <laughs> like these consumers are now driving the interest. And I think also as a brand who's selling products through the regulated hemp industry or the maybe loosely regulated hemp industry, you know, you're trying to understand, well, what do I want my brand to be about and what do I want to deliver to the market? And so for us at Restart, we really do care about the quality of products that we're putting out. We absolutely care about education. We want to ensure that what we're bringing to market is not just a quick opportunity to kind of, you know, cash out with a consumer. And there's other products, you know, people are coming and asking for what is those? I'm spacing on it now, but it's like K2 spice. It's there. It's like another little powder. They're wanting some kind of synthetic cannabis or something like that. Yeah, I'm spacing on it right now. It's it's like a leaf that people all buy and it comes in like red, blue, green, like different colors. Oh. Kratom. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, oh my God, my brain is amazing. They're asking us for Kratom. And I'm like, well, I don't sell Kratom. I'm not interested in selling Kratom. So like that's a line drawn for me. And then I have friends who own dispensaries and they're like, oh, well, we're selling, you know, THCO. Do you want some THCO from my, you know, my manufacturer, my vendor? And I'm like, what the fuck is THCO? Do I want THCO? I don't think I want THCO. So it kind of comes down to, you know, you have some brands who are like, oh, what's the next greatest thing I can sell to a consumer? And then they're bringing these products to market. And I think a lot of the conversations I have and I try to have is, you know, using Delta 8 as the precursor, there's good Delta 8 and there's bad Delta 8. So just because you've had bad Delta 8 doesn't mean that good Delta 8 doesn't exist. And so with that same notion and mindset, I'm like trying to explore now these other cannabinoids that are very similarly getting put on my radar. I sat in my retail shop on Saturday a couple of weeks ago in the back. I love sitting in the back where I can just hear what people are asking about, but I don't have to. Sometimes when they see me or my sisters, they're like, oh, the sisters are in. And I'm like, no, I just want to be anonymous. I just want to listen to the conversations and had a handful of people coming in asking for HHC. And so as a business owner, I'm like, well, what is HHC? Should I be selling HHC? Oh man, this is getting entangled in the same dialogue that we were having with Delta 8, you know, a couple of years ago. And so again, kind of going on that vein of I'm really into education and I also am into sharing that education. I'm like, I just, I don't know what I don't know. So what is HHC? I know you mentioned that it is naturally occurring in the cannabis plant. To extract it naturally is just like not realistic. I'm assuming from a like how many plants you'd have to get to accumulate enough availability of the cannabinoid slash molecule to also just what is the process for like how much is actually naturally occurring to how much you can extract. But kind of like from your perspective as somebody who's manufacturing or bringing this to market, what is HHC beyond just a THC or beyond a high? I know it's hydrogenated, but how does it relate to THC? And like, why are people asking for it? Where are they hearing about it? And how does your company play a role in bringing that cannabinoid to consumers? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think it it would help to kind of start at, at the beginning. Basically, when we brought HHC to market, again, we, we saw a big a push to regulate Delta 8. And we were kind of looking for an option to kind of, you know, still offer that crowd who, who's looking to get those molecules like a Delta 8 to, you know, use that high as a medicine. I do see the psychoactivity as a medicine. I think it's great for recreational use and for, you know, personal health. I think, you know, the, the getting high aspect has a really bad wrap around it for some reason. But I think there's value in that. And I, I think, you know, the more that we have these conversations, that'll be kind of more exposed and more people have, you know, interactions with these molecules. But essentially, we were trying to bring this to market. I approached a couple of very large brands and said, listen, I basically have the new Delta-8. There's no THC in it, but it does the same thing. And I just broke a bunch of people's brains. They're like, "How? what are you talking about? This is not even possible. So, you know, essentially we realized that, you know, we didn't have any standard testing in the very beginning. So we had to actually go out and isolate the stereoisomers. So like Delta 8 reads out on a chromatogram, there would be one big peak. There'd be one reading for Delta 8. HHC, there's actually eight or nine different stereoisomers. In the HHC that we create, there's actually three that come out, two predominantly. So we isolated those molecules and worked with a couple of different certified labs to create testing standards. So we're able to develop that process because then you could see third-party verification that we had the purity and the right molecule that we're talking about. Then we had to go through an entire process of information because there wasn't any information online. There was some studies done in like the 40s and the 60s, but there was hardly anything out there. So we literally had to go write the Wikipedia page on HHC and what it was and go through and go on a massive education campaign. And then we realized that, you know, if we're going to bring a molecule to market, we have to be able to prove that it's safe because we can't just be that lab that throws something out and says, this will get you high, go ahead and smoke it. There's a million chemicals in our lab that would get you real high, but you definitely shouldn't be smoking them. So we submitted to some preclinical safety toxicology studies. It's definitely not as far as you could go, but to go through full clinical studies, I mean, it would cost millions of dollars and take years and years and years. So we wanted to do as much as we could. So we did some safety studies just showing that at least in vitro, it's not going to cause cancer in the brain and the heart, the lungs, things like that. But essentially to break down the molecule for you, it is a hydrogenated THC like you mentioned. So if you can think of the process of hydrogenating vegetable oil to create margarine, that's exactly what we're doing. That same process is being done on THC. So to explain the process, we would start from a CBD isolate. We take that and convert it over to Delta-8 THC. We have to go very high purity because it's quality in, quality out. If we start with really low quality input material, our final product is going to be absolute garbage. So we have to make really quality Delta-8 THC. And then we put that into a reactor with hydrogen, reaction catalyst, and ethanol. And that essentially... We'll continue to run that reaction. We keep pulling samples on that to make sure that all that THC has been converted. And once it's been converted, we kind of go through the whole process of filtering out that catalyst and then go through multiple steps of distillation to obtain the purity that we're looking for. But that's really the easiest way to understand it is it's hydrogenated THC, just like you would hydrogenate margarine. It's a, it's a common practice in the food industry, in the pharmaceutical industry. It's just pretty new to the cannabis industry, at least on a large scale. It's been done on very small scale, but no one's really ever seen it on a, a multi-ton scale like we have today. Well, I appreciate you highlighting the safety, just like topic in general, obviously, that it's a huge area of concern for so many people. I think 
We as an industry also do a really bad job of kind of future thinking to the extent of this seems really good right now. I'm going to put it in my body, but I don't really know what the implications are going to be 5, 10, 50 years from now. And I think that is just a reality that a lot of us in the industry face on a daily basis, both as business owners, as well as consumers. But I personally kind of look at it, you know, there are tit for tat things, you know, maybe you want to be out and sitting in the sun all day and drinking, you know, nonstop alcohol, liquor, whatever the case may be. I personally don't make those choices. So for me, I want to put cannabis in my body. I also am swapping cannabis for opioids. So it to me, it's like there's not anything inherently going to not harm you. But obviously, you do want to do as much safety assurance and quality testing beforehand because you want to make sure that you have the best quality of something that isn't going to outrightly cause someone harm or have any further implications where my brain is going. And I love some clarification from you. And maybe you don't know fully the answer, but I'm thinking, you know, just from what I know, a lot of these regulated compliant cannabis companies and legal operating states are now selling, for example, like I mentioned, in Colorado, you can go and you can get a Delta 9 THC gummy and it's also mixed with CBN. Y'all make CBN. So I'm curious, you know, kind of to extrapolate out the idea is, is CBN potentially like I'm trying to understand like why people are so up in arms over synthesizing if there are other applications where maybe they look the other way because of a synthesis. And yes, pharmaceuticals is a major great example, but I'm looking at all the CBN in the market that all these other brands are using. Is that naturally occurring CBN or is it also a synthesized CBN? So are we really mad about synthesizing cannabinoids or are we really mad because it's a synthesized psychotropic cannabinoid that is new to us and we're not really sure what its effects will be long term because that just is something that as you're talking, I'm like, huh, I mean, a lot of other things are synthesized and converted. I mean, the whole hemp industry is really predicated on being able to use CBD and pushing CBD chemically into these other cannabinoids. And so it's like we don't really scoff at CBN or CBG, but here we are at HHC and Delta 8. So I'm just curious, does that question make sense to you? And and kind of how do you view that juxtaposition of how other cannabinoids are made versus psychotropic ones? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's definitely a, a stigmatism with the psychotropic, like we kind of talked about earlier. And it it really kind of irks me that there's just this, I don't know if it's a lack of understanding or, or, or if it's ignorance. I'm not sure what's, I'm not sure what's happening, but yeah, I mean, CBN is one of the most popular minor cannabinoids out there and it's all over the place. I can find it in my local grocery store, to mm-hmm. our dispensaries, to our CBD shops. It's absolutely everywhere and nobody bats an eye. But as soon as there is a le- level of psychoactivity, then it becomes an issue, which is kind of funny because we're going through some legislation here in Colorado and they were essentially trying to ban everything down to CBD and CBG. And they were looking at how to regulate out psychoactive cannabinoids. And if you look at the literature on CBN, there actually is a level of psychoactivity with CBN. So it's it's a very tough thing for them to try to, you know, figure out how to regulate. And I found that super interesting because I didn't even know that before. But yeah, when it comes to I don't know. I think it's something with the cannabis industry It's as a whole. Like, you know, most consumers want to be as close to the plant as possible. That's why we see such a, a movement into like the press rosin and, mm-hmm. and smoking flour. It's such a, a popular topic right now. But 
if we're being entirely honest, the marijuana that we have on the market right now, there's nothing really natural about it. The way that we've pushed genetics and indoor grows and the nutrients we're feeding. I mean, I've smoked wild cannabis that grows in the fields of Nebraska and it's horrible. I don't want that cannabis in my body ever again. I will never touch that stuff. So I'm glad that we have the innovation that we do. And I really think that the process of synthesis is going to lead us to even greater discoveries. I mean, if you look at like what's been done on Delta 9 THCV, that is going to be a massive molecule that gets me more excited than probably anything else when it comes to these different cannabinoids. But yeah, I, I really think there is a, a big place for synthesis within the industry. But I think there's a big misunderstanding that, you know, a lot of these molecules that you're already consuming on a daily basis are synthesized. There is a process done in a lab to get these molecules. And there's exactly. good to be had with that as long as we follow, you know, safe procedures and we have proper testing. When it comes to regulation, I welcome good regulation that's going to help keep the consumer safe because the process of synthesis can be scary. And if you walk into a lab and see all the chemicals and stuff, it can be terrifying. But once you start understanding the process and the safety checks, it, it becomes a lot less scary. quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. I definitely want to circle back around to what you're just sharing in terms of, you know, kind of obviously sharing how y'all are making HHC and to kind of get into a little bit too of how others might be doing it not so safely and maybe what some of those things as brands who are looking to incorporate these cannabinoids could be looking for when they're exploring manufacturers. But before we get there, I wanted to touch on just the idea of, because it's been coming up a lot for me and it's something that I find not everybody operating in cannabis really is exposed to for better or worse. I think because I'm in the hemp market and because I'm in a state like Texas, like obviously you play in hemp, but you're in a regulated marijuana state in Colorado. So you have a different purview than I do. And then I have friends in California cannabis and they're just like, oh, like completely like on a different page compared to people who are operating in like Illinois or even, you know, Iowa in different states that do or don't have access to these products and cannabinoids and molecules. And so my brain really has been swirling around lately around the idea of chemically derived cannabinoids and how like to also step back a little bit, we're trying to look at, you know, everybody wants federal legalization. And I think you were just sharing some of the legislation updates, which I didn't realize Colorado had shifted their perspective on Delta 8. Is that in regards to the FDA coming out and saying Delta 8 is not, I think they said it was like not, not psychotropic, but it's, it's not a concern. Like it's legal is basically what the FDA just came out and said. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I feel like every 10 minutes we hear something different from something different. The, the FDA or the DEA. I mean, it's it's always changing. But from my understanding, the, the situation here in Colorado was kind of more about a, a battle between big marijuana and the hemp industry kind of clashing together and figuring out where these molecules are going to reside. Are they going to fall in the regulated dispensary market or is it going to be more of an open market? And 
from where it stands right now, the manufacturing of these molecules is legal. Um, mm. Well, I shouldn't say all of these because there's plenty of synthetic cannabinoids that we cannot play with. There, there's a lot that we can't touch, but the majority of them, HHC, Delta-8, things like that, we can manufacture them. But what's interesting is they cannot be sold in the retail market, yes. which it's kind of a, a weird twist. And honestly, I could drive to probably five different gas stations and vape shops within 10 minutes of me. And there's Delta-8, HHC, THC, PLMNO, just all of the letters, everything you can imagine is being sold. So it doesn't seem like it's being enforced at all. Sure. Uh, but just the selling of the final product is what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And I know that what happens here in Colorado really does set a precedent for the rest of the United States. It, it seems like it we does. tend to be a leader along with California. So... I'm hopeful that, you know, that our company is trying to get involved in some lobbying and see if we can get involved as much as possible politically to help influence good regulation so that we can see expansion. And I would love nothing more to see a little more even distribution of the rights within hemp and cannabis across the United States, because, yeah, it's tricky. You try to sell products into different states and I mean, people might break a law on accident without even knowing it because these laws are changing so constantly. So there's, there's a lot to keep up with. And you know, I, I hope we get to a point where we're kind of on a, a federal ag agreement across the United States. But at the same time, that scares the heck out of me. So, <laughs> Well, that's kind of the point, right? It's it's everybody wants federal legalization. But to me, I can't wrap my head around how we're going to have federal legalization when exactly what you just said, we have states like Colorado that have you can manufacture, but you can't sell it. And it makes sense. The regulated marijuana market is mad. I can't even imagine people are like, oh, we're going to get federal legalization. I'm like, when? They have to deal with hemp-derived Delta 9 THC first because there's so much. And I understand you have the regulated market who's regulated more heavily than the hemp market. And then they're selling these cannabinoids that we are now selling these cannabinoids. And then you have overlap with the CBNs, the CBGs. And then you kind of have the hemp where they're doing these H HHCs and THCPs and THCO, whatever, LMNO, whatever. And it's like, to me, I'm like, oh my God, we have a lot to clean up. And then the point that I'm making is chemically created cannabinoids, to me, a little bit mimicking pharmaceuticals, love it or hate it. Obviously, there is a place. I'm never somebody who's like, if you need to be on medicine, like you should be on medicine and listen to your doctor. I'm not a doctor. However, they use, like we've been talking about, chemicals to synthesize medication because it also helps with standardization. And so I think when you're looking at cannabis, there is this battle because you have half the people, industry, consumers, very purists. I understand. I love me a good full rosin experience of all the plants, all the flavonoids, all the terpenes, like that makes sense. But then I also look at instances where it makes sense to have an isolated cannabinoid. It makes sense to have a higher percentage of X, Y, or Z cannabinoid in a ratio formulated product. And those really are only introduced through the, I guess, influence of looking at cannabis as a pharmaceutical. And so that's where I'm like, to me, chemically derived cannabinoids is kind of the future. And I look to companies like yours who are helping establish those standards to drive some of these conversations and awareness. But then, yeah, you look at the industry and it's like, I don't really know who's going to win in the end. I don't know where these cannabinoids are going to go. I've heard, you know, the liquor store 
to the, you know, kind of convenience store model. Well, the the dispensaries are going to have the psychotropics and then the convenience stores are going to have all the, you know, non-psychoactive, but it's it's too soon to tell. And also we have a lot of legislation still left to be determined. And so I don't really know if I have a question so much as just had to say all of that because it's literally like I'm in these conversations. I'm in Colorado. I'm talking to people in California. I'm looking at what everybody's doing and I'm like, okay, who's going to, you know, call it out first? And so I just don't know, you know, kind of what is your gut reaction to kind of how some of this gets settled out with these cannabinoids like HHC that are right. being chemically that very much have, I believe, efficacy to a consumer who wants to choose to put that in their body. They should have access to the highest quality of HHC. But obviously, there's a lot of deterrence, both policy, legislatively, industry, just peers who are, you know, kind of throwing stones at it. So it's right. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point, you know, when you talk about all of these isolated compounds, they all do something different, right? When you, yes. when you smoke cannabis as a whole, you get a little bit of everything, which is great, but they all have their own individual properties. And without synthesis, we can't begin to explore what all these individual molecules do. And by exploring what all these molecules do, that gives us the ability to approach a more of like a, a kind of a custom formulation tailored molecule. So if you look at, you know, the cannabis industry, I've seen, you know, everybody relates it to, you know, sativa, hybrid, indicas, right? We've all learned that that really wasn't the best idea. We shouldn't have gone with that marketing tactic there. And now everyone's saying, well, the, the real reality is terpenes. Terpenes drive effect, 100% on board. Sounds great. The problem is, Terpene ratios are all over the place. There's so many different terpenes. And how do you expect the general consumer to walk in and figure that out? Because it's all over the place. And especially if, you know, there's, if, if you're going with natural terpenes, I mean, those, those ratios are constantly in flux. So it's, it's very difficult to dial in. Now, when you have synthesis and you can take these individual molecules, I see a day when we can start combining these for a tailored effect. So if you truly did want a cannabis sleep medicine, then we could combine certain molecules that would react with your system to help aid in sleep. You know, I think there's been a big lie told to the whole industry. It's like CBN will make you fall asleep or CBD will make you feel better. It's a yes and no. There's a little bit of that for sure. There, It is all medicine, but I, I think we can have a more accurate approach by studying these molecules, learning what they all do and finding ways to combine them and make them more effective on the human body. And like you said, I, I think if someone desires to, you know, seek out that type of medicine, they think they should have the right to. And if we aren't encouraging proper synthesis, if we're not encouraging good labs to, you know, raise the bar and, and hire their standards as far as quality and testing goes, then we're not going to see that happen. What we're going to see is just more alphabet soup thrown at the consumer and mass confusion, because that's what we have right now is nobody can keep up, even myself being in the industry, I can't keep up with everything that's being released. And, you know, it's hard to tell there's there's some molecules that are extracted from the plant. There's some that are synthesized from the plant. And then there's some that are synthesized from the plant, but don't even exist within the plant. So it's like, it's completely synthetic. So where do all of these molecules fall? 
and how do they play a role in in our cannabis industry? I think there is going to be a, a mass joining of hemp and cannabis. I mean, you see some really big cannabis brands right now entering the HHC Delta 8 space. I just saw a mega brand released a bunch of vape carts and, and sprayed blunts and things like that. And I think that's powerful because then we're all starting to be on the same team. I get why cannabis is pissed off because... You know, they spend all this money and licensing and everything, and they're all trying to pay back their investors. And then comes the hemp industry to undercut everybody and sell psychoactives. And you don't have to go to a dispensary. So I get that frustration. But if we left it to the regulated market to drive this innovation, they would be stuck. And that's why we haven't seen a lot of innovation on the THC side, you know, other than things like press rosin or you see right. those combinations with you know cbn and cbg and things like that but as far as pushing the molecule they don't necessarily have the freedoms or the ability or the interest to figure that out so i think there's power in the entire community coming together and trying to explore these different molecules and study them further to see how they react with the human body and I do envision a day when we have, you know, a more tailored medicine where we can really drive that effect on the human body. And I think that's going to be done through synthesis because we can really exaggerate those molecules and study them at, at a very small scale and, and be able to figure out exactly how it's reacting with the human body. So I, I, th I think there's going to be a time when we all come together and I'm starting to see that a little bit with the, you know, mesh between cannabis and hemp and I, I think it can't come soon enough. I think it needs to happen very quickly because there's a lot of innovation let, yet to happen here. Well, your point too, you know, my observation has been if we didn't have hemp legalized, you wouldn't see those cannabinoids in those markets. And they have right. been just predominantly pushing for THC percentage and trying to... Again, it's not that people can't get high, that high is a negative thing. I'll be the first to say, like, I love being high. It's like one of my favorite yeah. feelings. I don't drink alcohol and it's no shade to people who do, but that is my vice and I love going there. But you are looking at these markets and it's, okay, well, you're getting stagnated. And like you're saying, they're introducing some innovation, but not really innovation. And when you look at it, there's over a hundred different cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. So how they all, like you said, individually make you feel and what they can do is so new for all of us. And I think it's really exciting. And so if we stifle things, like for me, my approach with Delta 8 early on and still to this day was, is there bad Delta 8? Yes, but there's also good Delta 8. And like I shared earlier, the consumer should have the decision of what they're putting in their bodies. And so who am I to say no Delta 8 for you? Because I don't think it's good. It's like if the consumer wants to make that decision to put that in their bodies, it's my job as a retailer, as a brand, as a manufacturer to like bring to, to market the best quality version of that cannabinoid. And then the other kind of approach to it, too, is just understanding, you know, yes, what is the testing going to look like and how do you create some sort of quality assurance for these consumers to be able to introduce these cannabinoids into the market in a safe way? And that's where I'm I guess I'm frustrated is just like the lack of information that people have and the lack of understanding around these different cannabinoids and they just demonize them. And it's, you know, we want to see testing. We want to see regulation. I don't want Texas to make it illegal. I want Texas to say, no, it's legal, but let's put parameters around it. Yeah. Hey, we decided you can't have it more than this percentage. Okay, great. Cool. We'll play within those confines or at least the people who want to be self-regulated or regulated and actually build trust with the consumer, right? Should care, right. would care. I'm not going to speak for every brand out there, but I believe there are people in the industry, you and I being two of them who like, 
why is this a controversial topic? Like we should be able to talk about these conversations and then pass that information on to a consumer who is curious. Well, what is the difference between this versus that? Okay, well, the only way we're going to have access to understand what it can do is to put it in the public's hands in the safest way possible and open it up for research. And so I want to loop back around to, okay, people, let's say, want to use HHC in their product formulations or just to sell it outright. What, what in your opinion, is like good HHC versus bad HHC? Like, what are some of those basic practices of this is how it's made safely and this is how it's not made safely. Like kind of getting right. into some, I guess, like the garage chemistry, because I do think that that's the propaganda and the, you know, the fear that everybody sees. Again, I remember going to some shows. I went to Champs last year <laughs> and it was like a Delta 8 show. Like everybody was selling Delta 8. And I love nothing more than pretending like I know nothing. And yep. just asking questions. So I'm like, ooh, tell me about your Delta 8. How do you make it? Like, where does it come from? And you start to realize some people do not know how to communicate about these cannabinoids that they are so freely selling. And so to me, that is where there's a problem. And so if people are like, okay, I want to use HHC, how do you start to link up to brands? Obviously, Colorado Chromatography, we're having this conversation. Like, anybody's interested in HHC, that it should absolutely go to you. But like, <laughs> As a consumer, as other brands and other markets, like what are we looking for that is the qualifier of good versus bad if there is one? Yeah, well, I, I love this conversation because I think there's a massive disconnect between the labs and the product manufacturers and then the product manufacturers to the consumer and having this platform to actually get everybody together at one big table so we can have these conversations. This is huge. This Let's is what the it. industry needs. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, it, it's funny you bring up that story about champs too, because I do the same thing. I absolutely love just going in and say, oh, what is this? You know, where where do you get your Delta 8? And, you know, I often hear, well, my Delta 8's extracted. I'm like, interesting. Don't know how you're doing that, but okay. Right, they say trigger words. You're <laughs> like, I don't know a lot, but I know that that's not an accurate yep. word to use. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it, it, it's just completely hilarious. But yeah, when it comes to the quality, and this is pretty broad across, you know, multiple molecules. Yes. Obviously looking at testing, finding testing labs that are actually certified. That's a big thing. All you have to do is just go Google. So if you go to KCA labs, you can see that they are a certified lab. That's at least going to be one level of protection. Certified there. by who, by what? I think it would be ISO 17034. I can't remember. I'm terrible at remembering. But ISO all certified. Yeah. Yeah, ISO certified, and I, can't, I forget the actual delineation there, but making sure it's a certified lab, because if they're not, they could literally be somebody sitting in their garage, typing up a COA and saying, this is 99% HHC, whatever. They can just completely make it up. So I, definitely making sure that you're working with certified labs, I think is is a big thing. That being said, I could take a sample of one batch and send it to four different labs and get four different results. So right. that's why, you know, I think pushing for some sort of national testing standards or practices, I think would be a good idea. I don't fully understand the inconsistencies on that end, but really doing your research on labs, I think is very important. Another thing that I think is huge is most reputable labs, if not all, will have a QR code on them. I tell all of my customers, scan that QR code because that is going to lead you to the website where it will show the lab's information. One of my first interactions with a lab when I got into the hemp industry, they were trying to teach me how to Photoshop COAs mm -hmm. to take the original lab's name off and put theirs on it. And immediately I was like, well, 
this is fraud. That can't be okay. I don't care if the lab told you it's all right or not. You should go to the testing lab for that. So, you know, really making sure that you have authentic COAs because if we're being totally honest, it's, it's very, very easy to fake a COA and I see it left and right within this industry and it's terrifying. I do know of a couple of labs working on some blockchain technology when it comes to COAs. And mm. I think that is a, a really cool idea. And I think there's a big future for that. But really being safe and looking at your testing, verifying your testing. Then when it comes to HHC specifically, I like to recommend going outside of the cannabis industry to test for precious metals. Because a lot of people have this idea that, oh, I need a, a full panel that's going to show me the pesticides and the heavy metals. Well, that's just what's coming from the earth. What we're using in the lab for some of these reactions are gonna be precious metals, palladium, aluminum, platinum, things like that, that could end up coming, or rather not aluminum, my apologies, but like palladium and platinum. Those, those metals, if consumed in high levels, could be toxic. And again, these metals are used in pharmaceutical industry and the food industry. I mean, it's very common to be used, but those industries are regulated where they have to actually test for these to make sure. So going outside of cannabis, and the reason I say outside of cannabis, because if you go to any testing lab, they're not going to be able to test for these reaction catalysts. So making sure that you have that testing, I think is very, very important to make sure that you're going to keep your consumer safe. Then when it comes to purity, I mean, I have this conversation left and right with brands in the industry of, well, your stuff is testing at 97%, but I don't want to pay your pricing. Can you give me a lower potency for a better price? That's not something that I will compromise on. We will only work with the highest purity that we are capable of. But unfortunately, there are a lot of labs that are willing to do that again, because there's no real regulations around it. And when you see something that's a 70% Delta 8, and the rest of it is unknown. I mean, what are those residuals in there? Is it just molecules that have reacted and fallen apart into garbage? Is it pesticides? Is it, you know, a lot of people like to say it's plant material. Highly unlikely, but, they, you know, there's many things that it could be. And just accepting that there's 30% unknown within your product, I think is absolutely unacceptable. So really looking at your purities is going to be big, making sure you're working with legitimate testing labs. And then again, submitting to outside of the cannabis industry for those precious metal testings. I think that's all important. Unfortunately for the consumer, it's, it's very, very hard to get to that point. So putting pressure on people like yourself who are sitting at the store at the counter selling products, hey, if you're a consumer, put pressure on the person who's selling these products so that they can become further educated to help keep people safe. A lot of boxes would have QR codes with testing. Again, you can use that same process of confirming ISO certified labs and scanning QR codes to make sure that you can track it back as far as possible. Again, there's no way to be 100% safe with this, but there are a lot of practices that you can work on, like checking the testing that will definitely help. Yeah, no, that's very good in information and good advice because it it's it is hard to be honest. I mean, right, we're speaking as transparently as we can and just like kind of communicating some of the, you know, ghosts in the closet of the hemp industry, which is the amount of testing manipulation that gets done is atrocious. And it's like, okay, well, if we can't even hold that accountable, well, then what really do we have to qualify that this is what it says it is? And so I think that's where everything starts to 
dissolve. And I think, you know, just even looking at our own market here in Texas, we had probably three or four labs when the industry first opened, then it jumped up to like eight, nine, 10 labs. And now we're back down to, you know, I mean, there's smaller labs, but talking about ISO certified is not as accessible as I think, you know, people want to make it out to be. So to me, there's just a lot of faults in the industry, unfortunately, right now that it's not to say that everything is bad. It's just to be aware of kind of these are the circumstances that we are the are the confines rather that we are playing within it. So yeah, how do you have accountability? How do you bring innovation and new products to market in the safest way possible? And how do you kind of level up everybody with you who is trying to be a player in this game? Because you can make really good quality HHC, but yeah, if there's not a testing facility that can supplement that. And that was another point I was going to make too. You know, when we were first getting into Delta 8, it was really interesting because people couldn't tell Delta 8 from Delta 9. So you have certain, you know, just because the lab is a testing facility, there are certain, and gosh, I'm not like a lab person, obviously, but I'm trying to think of like what the word is. It's like, like, how do they know how to test HHC now? Like you have to give them like a protocol, like to say like, this is what HHC looks like. Like, this is how you're going to detect it. So I imagine not every lab can even test HHC at this point. So it's one of those things like you can go to a lab and say, hey, test this product, but that lab might not even be able to qualify what they're actually testing is what they're testing. And we still see that happening residually in Delta 8 and Delta 9. And another point I was going to make that just came back to my mind was on chemical cannabinoids. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you cannot tell on a lab if the cannabinoid was made chemically or naturally. Can you? Yeah. I mean, it it really just depends. I mean, not really. With the way that we're testing, I mean, this all came up when I was, you know, kind of discussing back and forth trying to do business in Japan because their whole idea in Japan was all of your CBD isolate has to be derived from seed and stock, which if you talk to anybody who's running extractions, it's like, there's no cannabinoids in there. Like, what are you talking about? And it was kind of funny because in talking with the Ministry of Health out there, we actually sent them two COAs. We sent them one of synthetic CBD and then one of natural CBD. And the they look the exact same. So there's really not a difference, you know, barring there could be, you know, residual chemicals or, or something left sure, over. Sure, you but detect yeah. it on a supplementary test. Right. So that's the only way you could tell if the lab wasn't doing a good job to, you know, do a clean process. But yeah, I mean, th- I, I think there is a, a big issue in our industry with testing. I mean, there are certified reference materials like for HHC, like our lab, you know, helped isolate those molecules and get them certified and all that good stuff. They're available for distribution. But from my understanding of the testing industry is everybody has a little bit different method on how they're going to do it, depending Every on how machine your machinery is calibrated right. different. Yeah, right. So it's I think it's a tricky thing. And I think that's why we haven't seen any like national testing regulations or anything. And I'm not quite smart enough to know if we could find something like that. I hope there is a way. But yeah, I think we need to keep having these conversations and and finding holes in our industry. Because if we're not being honest about these holes in our industry, we're gone overnight. If we're not trying to constantly improve our industry, 
we serve no purpose to the consumer. So that's my mission is to align with people that are like-minded to help. Hey, maybe this isn't possible to come up with some national testing standard, but maybe there is. And, you know, what is in place and what is possible and how can we change things for the safety of the consumer? Absolutely. No, I think that for me is one of the biggest glaring roadblocks towards federal legalization because we obviously have federal legalization with hemp and we still have so many discrepancies with testing that to me, it's like, okay, you want interstate commerce, which means your state's going to have to allow my state's cannabis products in. And we're already seeing the variance of products in the market from, again, a hemp perspective, which are, you know, going through interstate commerce. And it's like, yeah, I, we just we have a lot of holes to plug up or to resolve before we can start to see some better movement, I think, in some of these areas that on one end, it's like the cat's already out of the bag. So we are working towards legalization and cannabis is already here. So it's not like you can take some of these things away. But at the right. same time, how you legalize and what, you know, precursors or things that are falling into place in order for legalization to happen need to be addressed is really where... I feel like I spent a lot of my time is just like having these conversations and being like, oh my God, well, how do you go fix this area? And how do you fix that area? And like all while trying to, you know, keep a business afloat in the industry and trying to deliver on all these talking points to consumers to educate them, bring these quality products to market, differentiate, have different, you know, products for them to consume, I think is really important because yeah, there's a lot of people who are looking at cannabis for different things. And so to not have a product on the market for them just because, you know, we're afraid of it is not really the approach to look at rather maybe perhaps what is the efficacy of this and how do you get towards some sort of quality assurance? And it really is just through education. So my kind of next follow-up question is around, I guess, like exploring dosing. I think we as an industry haven't done a great job because I think a lot of our regulations are like 10 milligrams, like no more than 10. That's when you're too high. So like we just cap, you know, 10 milligrams is the thing and CBD, you can kind of see you're going a little bit higher. I see products, I sell products that are, you know, 100 milligrams of CBD per dropper. I like heavy CBD. I personally have been consuming, you know, marijuana products, high Delta 9 THC products for many years. And I still like to hang out in the 10 to 20 milligram range. I even love a good microdose moment. But when you're introducing these new cannabinoids like Delta 8 for me, it is really sedative for me. It knocks me out. I cannot take Delta 8 in the daytime. I have to take it in the evening. And I hear from customers anecdotally, oh, same thing. Delta 8 is a little bit more sedating for me. Then you also hear some customers who share, well, Delta 8 makes me feel less anxious, less paranoid compared to the high of Delta 9 THC. So you can start to kind of create more anecdotally, unfortunately, but testimonials of how people are using these products, what is effective for them to kind of create some sort of like line in the sand. I'm assuming HHC can be consumed just like any other cannabinoid. You can put it in an edible and digest it. You can inhale it in a vape product. You can probably use it in a sublingual oil. I don't know if HHC has any efficacy as a topical, but what are you guys unpacking when it comes to HHC from a consumer perspective of Yeah, like don't exceed, like you're talking about, y'all do THCV2. I read one study and it was just one study, but it was a scientific study which said like don't exceed 10 milligrams of THCV. And I was like, but why? You know, what happens? And so I think a lot of, again, our dosing is 
lacking studies formally. And so we do leave it up to anecdotal, but in an exploration manner, you know, where, where should consumers start with HHC and is there perhaps too much HHC? Right. Yeah. I think, you know, it gets tricky when you start talking about dosing, especially with something like THC, because it's, in my opinion, similar to alcohol when consumed. It's like, I personally, just like yourself, I don't drink a whole lot of alcohol. So when I do, it's quite effective on me, though I have friends who could down a 12 pack of beer and not be phased at all. But if they take a hit off my dab rig, they're going to be sleeping in seconds, whereas I will be acting totally normal. So that's where it gets kind of tricky because obviously your tolerances really do fluctuate. And I I have customers that sell five milligram edibles. Then I've seen people sell 500 milligram single serving edibles. And yeah, I I don't think either one is right. I, I tend to definitely err on the side of caution with with lower doses. HHC is is kind of interesting. It's just like Delta-8 or Delta-9. Actually, when you consume it, it'll convert to 11-hydroxy metabolites. So it interacts in a very similar way. I quite prefer HHC edibles. They remind me of Delta-9, but for me, they're a little more energetic, if you will. But yeah, with HHC, I would say if you're already consuming Delta-8, I would consume it in a similar way. Always err on the side of caution. I think when it comes to actual like legitimate dosage studies, from what I understand, they can be quite expensive. And if we're being quite honest, not a lot of hemp companies have a ton of money to throw into all of these studies. There's there's so many things that we could study as far as safety and efficacy and you know dosage and things like that that cost a ton of money. And until we get to that point where we can justify those, you know, like I mentioned, our company does some safety toxicology studies. Is that the end to prove that HHC is the safest thing on the planet? Absolutely not. There's there's a lot more studies that we could do, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. So I, as far as I understand, that's why we haven't really seen a whole lot of like actual dosage studies done on a lot of these different molecules. But yeah, I always tend to err on the side of caution. HHC can be quite potent. I tend to find it a little bit more psychoactive than Delta-8. Just personally, I tend to, again, get more energetic, more uplifted, whereas like yourself, Delta-8 makes me pretty sleepy and groggy. For some reason, I don't respond well to Delta-8. I consume lots of Delta-9, fair amount of HHC, but Delta-8, for some reason, my body just doesn't like it. It's crazy. It's so weird. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but you know, I think that's why there's... There's so many mysteries and misinformation in our industry because everybody reacts different with these molecules. And it can even depend on what you've eaten that day as far as, you know, how bioactive that molecule is going to be or the process used to put it into the gummy or the tincture. There's so many different methods that, yeah, I think it's kind of hard to find your product and your dosage and and get in the right line. But I would always recommend erring on the side of caution with with all of these psychoactive molecules. Yeah, I was going to add to that for sure, just on the bio availability part. I mean, it is remarkable when you like I will be talking to customers and they'll be asking about Delta 8 and, you know, I share where it works for me and how it works for me. And I only can use it in the evening because it makes me too knocked out in the daytime. And then you'll like have a customer walk in and they're like, oh, I love Delta 8 for daytime. It helps me, you know, feel creative and I clean and I do all these things. I'm like, oh my God, we're different people, you know, it just like is a reminder, just like the alcohol example. I just think as an industry, consumers, 
in particular don't give cannabis that same, I guess, like flexibility. It's a little bit like, oh, it should work the same way every time. It's like, I love playing the roulette game of I have a bunch of 10 milligram edibles and I, you know, play around with different ones. And sometimes I feel creative and uplifted and sometimes I feel sleepy and sedative. Is it the formulation? Is it the extraction? Is it the other ingredients that might be present? Is it what I had eaten that day? And so again, I think consumers want cannabis to operate like a pharmaceutical where they have the same results every time they take it. But we have to have a lot of conversations with them about tolerance. And when you hit a tolerance, maybe you should take a tolerance break and just kind of explore again what you're eating, what your, you know, other inputs are into your body, body chemistry, fat, cannabis is fat soluble. I think every time I bring that people are like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So it's like, yeah, how your body's just processing things in general can be a differentiator for how these cannabinoids are affecting a person's body. But I think I asked you this when we talked prior, but I would love to just like reiterate it because it comes up for us as a retailer, right? I think a lot of people are looking for alternatives to THC for a myriad of reasons, legality being one of them. And kind of in extension of legality would be perhaps, you know, I get drug tested or I'm on probation and I get drug tested or, you know, like insert whatever reason someone is trying to skirt around having THC in their system. Right. How does HHC operate compared to THC? Because from my perspective, Delta 8 is going to show up on a drug test just as a THC, the, the test isn't smart enough to know, oh, you had Delta 8 versus Delta 9. I think very similarly to how there's discrepancies in the actual like quality testing of these or in potency testing of these cannabinoids. The, the I don't know what like the version of it would be, but it's just like, yeah, like you being drug tested, there are also versions of drug tests available. There's P-sticks, there's actually going into a pharmacy and getting drug tested. So there's different degrees of what is actually being tested. I'm curious, can HHC show up on a drug test? Because I think a lot of the murmurs and chatter is like, HHC is not going to show up on a drug test. So like, go ahead and smoke (laughs) it. And like, you're going to pass, like, good luck. And then I hear people who are like, I'm on probation and I'm smoking this. I'm like, I'm afraid for you. You shouldn't (laughs) do that. But that's Delta A. That's even just like full spectrum CBD I warn our customers on. And I think, again, as an extension of, I unfortunately see a lot of brands tell customers, no, you'll be fine because they're only testing for Delta 9. And I'm like, that's not truth. So how does HHC kind of interact with a test from a consumer getting drug tested perspective? Yeah, that's a fantastic question because that's something that comes up for me all the time. And I think it's important for the consumers and the product manufacturers to understand because there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to that. When it comes to edibles, like we talked about earlier, it converts to 11-hydroxy. It's reacting in the same way in your body as THC. You're going to fail a drug test. When it comes to vapable products, Mm. I have had customers some send me drug tests say hey we passed some say we didn't as you mentioned there's so many different hundreds of different kinds of drug tests there's urine tests and follicle tests there's so many different kinds what i would always recommend is assume it's going to fail a drug test because most of what i've seen hhc will fail a drug test 
there's plenty of brands out there that go ahead and say you'll pass a drug test. I always inform my customers, hey, bad idea. Just for liability reasons, do not make that claim. There's a reason that we do not, as a lab, say that HHC will pass a drug test. We always say count on it failing a drug test every single time because that's most likely the reality. I've had plenty of people tell me that I'm wrong. Again, another thing that we could dump money into study, but that's just not something that we're super interested in. There's other things that we can study within this industry as far as the safety of these different molecules yeah. we'd rather divert our resources to. Uh, yeah, I would always err on the side of caution and assume that you would fail a drug test, whether it be HHC, Delta-8, THCO, any of these psychoactive molecules, I would err on the side of caution with these. Because you guys deal with CBN too, I'm just curious because CBN is known to have psychotropic properties. Have you heard of CBN failing a drug test? If someone is just outrightly taking that cannabinoid, I'm just you know, curious. I, no, I've never heard of anything like that. I don't believe that it would. And I've I've taken quite a bit of CBN in very high doses and never had any psychoactive effects. It's just on paper, that molecule is considered like a psychoactive molecule. You know, as far as I understand, that wouldn't be an issue with CBN. But again, I don't want to go making any claims until we no, actually no, see no. some studies, right? Yeah. <laughs> again, like I need like a disclaimer on this episode. Like we are not doctors. We are not lawyers. Like yeah, we are just really we like educationally like exploring these topics and these cannabinoids. It is just very interesting, again, to start to unpack it. It's like, for me, my brain always jumps from, you know, I'm in the world of this industry every day and I will hear things. I will not hear things. And all of a sudden you have customers asking for this thing. And I'm like, where did you even come across that? I haven't heard of that yet. Or, oh, I heard of that, this land, land far away. I didn't realize we were productizing it yet. And I think it just goes back to show how immature our market is. And how right. fast things are moving because when you legalize hemp, it's these are all cannabinoids that are found at least, you know, more or less naturally occurring, maybe in small percentages. But now it's available for us to explore and to dissect and to pull apart and to isolate and to put into a product. And so for me, it's just we're just on the iceberg tip. I think there's what, maybe 12, 15 max, if you really are kind of like digging into some of these minor cannabinoids. Just the other day, someone was telling me, I guess, two things. I'm just curious for like a gut reaction. One, one of my friends is a chemist. We were talking about 6A10A, which he, his mindset is like technically in the in the lineage of like Delta 8, 9, 10, like I think he said that is truly like Delta 9. Like we call Delta 9, Delta 9, but it's actually 6A10A. And so I just saw a brand put 6A10A on their website as selling products. And I sent it to him. I was like, oh my God, we've been talking about this for like a year and a half. And like, here it comes. And so that one was a little bit more on my radar. But then I was at a show, not even a cannabis show. I was at like an Austin like market and saw a smoke brand selling a product from California. I'm using air quotes for you listeners. And it was like a, a cocktail. It was like a mixture of cannabinoids. And then it had this cannabinoid that was like THC. It had a J in it, like a JD something. Oh and then I asked the guy, I'm like, oh, interesting. Again, I just love to like, you know, pick apart what people like you you're selling the product like I want to ask you questions I go oh my god that's so interesting tell me more about it do you know about it have you consumed it and the guy's laughing like haha like I don't consume these things I'm like my eyes are like rolling in the back of my head I'm like but you sell this and you don't even oh, know goodness. what the fuck it is 
fuck, like at least try <laughs> to learn what this is. And so right. that cannabinoid got put on my radar. And then again, I just saw someone bringing it and it's like a THC with a J in it. And I've never heard of it until recently. And I'm just like, okay, strap in everybody. Cause there's about yep. to be a whole bunch of weird other cannabinoids, both naturally occurring, but synthesized and also synthetically made. Cause what THCO is naturally occurring, but THCP, I believe is a synthetic. I think as far as I understand, THCP is actually naturally occurring. Naturally occurring. What I understand, again, there's so many and it's hard to keep up with them, but yeah, essentially what we're seeing right now, and it's kind of a funny story. So Kyle Ray, he, he's one of our owners at Colorado Chromatography. His favorite thing to do to me is say, okay, picture the THC molecule in your head. And then he'll start editing the molecule. And I'm like, okay, break out a whiteboard so that I can actually see what you're talking about. But essentially what we're seeing is there's the THC molecule and it has that carbon chain that goes off. Right. There. And pushing that carbon chain further and further increases the psychoactivity. So okay. THC, I, and I don't remember the exact number of carbon chains when it comes to THCH. And then that one you're referring to is THCJD. Yes. These molecules, are they're just getting more and more and more and more psychoactive, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. I think could be useful if you look at, you know, I have some friends who consume medical marijuana in the state of California and they have single serving gummies that are 800 to 1000 milligrams because they're cancer patients and they're going through absolute hell and this medicine is helping. So I do think there is validity. There's a reason to push these molecules. Do I think they should be pushed into gas stations and sold to 16, 17, 18 year olds? Not so much, not so much. So, and another thing about a lot of these molecules is there's such a an arms race to get the, the next most high yes. psychoactive molecule out there that people aren't even doing their due diligence of creating these testing standards so we can tell potency. So I've had people come to me time and time again and, hey, we noticed your lab doesn't sell THCJD. Would love to see if you want to carry that. And I'm like, oh, great. Can I see a COA? Like, well, here's the thing. There's no testing. Just got to trust us. It's 90%. It's like, my goodness. So we're, we're seeing that more and more. And yeah, those molecules keep changing. And like, there's a lot of U-turns that brands are having to make, like with THCO, that one has gotten super popular. We, you know, had some business lined up with THCO and, you know, working on some potential huge contracts to do some tolling on that. And my team looked into it and they said, hey, the way that we're looking at this molecule, it looks like it's gonna react in a similar way that vitamin E acetate would. And that is what caused the 2016 vape crisis, causing ketone formation in the lungs and killing people. Well, luckily we did make the right call and we decided, hey, we're not going to pursue this THCO any further. We're going to stop here because we're worried about this. Again, could have studied it, didn't have the money to figure out if we were true. But since then, there's been studies done. And if THCO is heated up, I believe it's beyond 350 Celsius, it can cause ketone formation in the lung. Yeah. And a lot of people tell me, well, yeah, my 510 vape thread, you know, it's not going to get that hot. Right. Sure. <laughs> Well, let's talk about dabs. Let's talk about sprayed flour, hemp, cigarettes, and blunts. Those are getting plenty hot enough to cause issues. And unfortunately, you know, we're starting to see some brands start to revert off of that. But unfortunately, we're seeing more and more people double down and say, that's not enough proof. Well, a little bit of proof that a molecule might kill one of my customers is enough for enough. me to say, hey, I'm done. I'm done with this. And if someone wants to pour more money in to study it and prove me wrong, sure, that's yeah. awesome. 
but it doesn't take a lot to turn me off of something. Our team is, we tend to err on the side of caution, but yeah, it, it can be scary with all these new molecules coming out and you can't keep up with the alphabet soup, right? <laughs> Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadaturabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadaturabi. 